Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. Great to be with you. The title of today's podcast is Three Unlikely Habits That Will Save Your Life. Three Unlikely Habits That Will Save Your Life. And this podcast is going to introduce you to three words, three truths, three habits that guide me in my relationship with Jesus each day. Uh, they ground me, actually, and I and and I speak about them, actually, and explain them uh, in about six, seven, eight pages at the end of a chapter in the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship book, uh, and it's at the end of a chapter on Follow the Crucified, not the Americanized Jesus. But actually, these this, these, this section was so important to me. It's a matter considered the heart of the book, but it only got actually the end of a chapter. They're just so significant. And I wanted to write a whole book just about them, these three words, these three habits, because they are so central for me. Uh, and I live them each day. I think of them each day. They shape me. And the three words are relax, detach, and listen. Uh, relax, detach, and listen. In fact, uh, this morning, as Every morning, uh, I, I, I am before the Lord and in silence, and, and, and I do these three things. The first is relax, and that comes from uh, what does it mean to, to trust, to believe in Jesus, to trust in Jesus. It comes out of John 9, as you'll hear in just a few minutes. But surrender, you know, trusting Jesus, and I, I, I ponder my day, and I want to relax and fall into his arms uh, and trust him to what lies before me. And the second habit, and it's, it's a habit, it's just in me for each day. The second is detach. Which really means to surrender. Uh, it's it's really it's letting go. Uh, it's surrendering, uh, and I let go of everything in front of me for the day. Um, and I seek to do that all through the day. And the third word is, or third habit, is to listen. To listen to Jesus again out of Matthew seventeen. And uh, I offer up anything He wants to say to me uh, going forward. So the title of this podcast is Three Unlikely Habits That Will Save Your Life. And habit again is a is a practice that once it's a habit, it's second nature, don't even, don't even think about it. And so for me, these three habits, relax, detach, listen, are just life for me. Uh, and so when I do the daily office, uh, these words, my morning, midday, evening prayer, uh, they're just in me, relax, detach, and listen. Uh, in fact, uh, our free resource this week we want to offer to you is around the daily office uh, at emotionallyhealthy.org slash daily office. It's a it's a it's a daily office that you can download a couple of pages into your phone or into your um, you know print it out. But it it's something I developed very early on that gave way to, to our church and other churches to actually have to, to structure a morning, midday, and evening prayer. Uh, and it's a great little tool. So again, check it out emotionallyhealthy.org/dailyoffice. So as you listen to me read uh, these next few pages uh, over the next eighteen or so minutes, I pray that. You will let the application of these words of Jesus, uh, as I expound on his, you know, the texts from him, let them wash over you. And I pray that these three habits would anchor you and center you and speak to you and that you too might relax and surrender, that is detach, and be a better and more uh, faithful listener to Jesus. Enjoy. Take your first steps to follow the crucified Jesus. You may be wondering at this point, you want me to reject popularity, greatnessism, and successism, and embrace suffering and failure? It might preach well, but you have got to be kidding. How is it possible to live that free? 
To live this way is not only possible, it's what you were made for. And there are three essential and biblical practices you can use to begin your journey. Relax in Jesus, detach for Jesus, and listen to Jesus. Practice one, relax in Jesus. The day after Jesus feeds the 5,000 and then mysteriously disappears, the crowds come looking for him. When they find him, there is this fascinating exchange. They asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. When the people ask about the works God requires, they have in mind things such as prayer, acts of mercy, giving, or Bible study. Surprisingly, Jesus says there is only one work, to believe in the one God has sent. This phrase, believe in, means to trust in him. And not just once, but continually in an ongoing moment-by-moment and day-to-day kind of way. Jesus issues this invitation to trust in him 98 times in the Gospel of John. In fact, John states that the purpose of his entire gospel is that you may believe, be trusting moment by moment that Jesus is the Messiah. Theologian Frederick Dale Bruner captures the richness of this kind of trust when he writes, relaxing in is a good modern translation of trusting in or believing in. We relax by allowing ourselves to be held by him, regardless of the storms and circumstances in which we find ourselves. Relax in Jesus. If you think about it, isn't this the goal of everything we do in ministry, including worship, preaching, small groups, programming, classes, outreach, serving, giving? To get people to relax in Jesus. Jesus says that if we get this right, if we make it our work to relax in Him, He will take care of the rest. Relax. This, of course, is easier to talk about than to live, especially when we are surrounded by anxiety or the ministry appears to be going backward rather than forward. And yet, it is precisely what Jesus modeled for us in his own ministry. We sometimes forget that Jesus experienced a mass defection in which he lost thousands of disciples. After feeding the 5,000, large crowds began to follow Jesus. However, when he subsequently began to teach hard truths about the need for people to eat his flesh and drink his blood, the crowds were offended and quit following him. Thousands abandoned him. Only the twelve remained, and one of them was Judas. In responding to the disbelief of the crowds, and then later the disciples, Jesus makes three statements, each of which offers insights into how he was able to relax in God. All those the Father gives me will come to me, John 6, 37. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, John 6, 44. This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them, John 6, 65. Even as thousands turn back, Jesus relaxes, grounded in a deep sense of the Father's sovereignty and plan. He understands that ultimately it is the Father who draws disciples and the Father who keeps them there. 
Regardless of the outcome, Jesus trusts that the Father is responsible for his mission and will send the right people to him. He models a steady contentment in doing God's will, in God's way, according to God's timetable. How relaxed would you be in similar circumstances? Chances are most of us would probably respond along the lines of what Jesus' brothers did, which was to panic. They tell him to get to Jerusalem as soon as possible to get his numbers back up. But Jesus didn't always work in what we might consider a strategic way. He lived by the Father's strategy, not by what anyone else considered best practices. Jesus simply told his brothers, the right time for me has not yet come. For you, any time is right. Jesus rejected popularity, successism, and greatnessism, and embraced suffering and failure, at least in the world's eyes. He knew the disciples who stayed with him were given to him by the Father. The Father was in charge of the mission. Everything was fine, even if things looked like they were falling apart. He relaxed. Practice two, detach for Jesus. The goal of the Christian life is loving union with God, to allow God and his will to have full access to every area of our lives. This loving union with God is a oneness that is best understood by the analogy of a marriage, in which two people become one flesh, yet also remain separate from one another. This is the answer to Jesus' prayer. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, John 17, 21. The key to sharing this rich life of oneness with God is found in a practice called detachment. Unlike the cold detachment that we might expect from a judge or an accountant calculating our taxes, our motive for this kind of detachment is being with Jesus. Jesus speaks of detachment as losing our lives that we might find them. Paul describes it as not clinging or holding to anything, whether it be marriage, sorrow, joy, or anything we possess for the sake of Christ. He writes, From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not, those who mourn as if they did not, those who are happy as if they were not, those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep, those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. In other words, we relinquish all possessiveness and self-will. Meister Eckhart, a Dominican monk, pastor, and theologian from Germany, uses the story of Mary, the mother of Jesus, to teach the practice of detachment. Faced with the loss of reputation, security, and her dreams, Mary emptied herself of her will for her life to radically surrender herself to the birth of Jesus in her. In the same way, argues Eckhart, we must be emptied of all created things to be full of God and what he wants to birth in us. He writes, to be empty of all created things is to be full of God, and to be full of created things is to be empty of God. What does this mean practically? Many things, but here are three to start. We are open to the unfolding of events and circumstances in our life, accepting everything, not attaching to any earthly experience or goal, 
but trusting God is orchestrating all things for our good, His glory, and the good of the world. We set goals and direction for our lives and ministry, yet release attachment to any particular outcome. We engage in active service to Jesus with a passionate yet detached activism, recognizing we cannot manipulate or predict what He wants to do. And we are prayerful, not to get what we want, but to surrender our will to God's will, recognizing that unhealthy attachments are a reflection of our core spiritual problem, self-will. Here is how relaxing played out in one of the most difficult decisions I ever had to make in ministry. I had been the lead pastor at New Life Fellowship Church for 22 years when it became clear that I needed to initiate a succession process over the next four years. As we began work with a consultant to execute a solid plan, I was acutely aware that God might not send the candidate we would consider right within that time frame. And so I wrestled with questions. Might God want the church to wander in the wilderness for some time? Might it be God's will for new life to fall apart for a season and to send a message that even when we practice emotionally healthy discipleship, it's no guarantee that everything works out the way we want? Might God want to scatter the people of new life to serve and bless other local churches? My work throughout the entire four-year process was to release the outcome to Jesus as we worked through the many ups and downs of the process. It wasn't easy. In fact, it required daily, repeated surrender. I am profoundly aware that God's orchestration of a positive transition to a new lead pastor was a grace and gift, enabling New Life Fellowship Church to blossom in ways that might not have happened had we not done the hard work of positioning ourselves to let go and relax, regardless of the outcome. Practice three, listen to Jesus. Even the best of Jesus' leadership team, Peter, James, and John, were not good listeners. We see this clearly when Jesus invites them to a high mountain where he is transfigured and they see the heavenly glory of Jesus along with Moses and Elijah. We might have expected Peter to fall on his face before such a jaw-dropping, overpowering, and dazzling sight, or at least wait and listen. Instead, Peter does what we so often do. He sees a door of opportunity and interrupts with a plan of his own. He suggests they put up three shelters as a witness to what God is doing. But he doesn't get very far with his plan. God himself interrupts Peter, saying, Listen to him, Jesus. Jesus had been talking with Peter about his crucifixion and its implications for discipleship, but he wasn't listening. Why? Because the direction Jesus is going appears counterproductive and doesn't make sense to Peter. I relate to this particular incident more than I care to admit. I spent many years leading for Jesus, but not listening to him. Peter didn't think he was doing anything other than following his best thoughts. So did I. The problem was that his best thoughts were leading him and others astray. Same thing happens when we follow our best ideas without listening first. We hurt ourselves and those we lead. God's word to Peter is God's word to us. Listen to Jesus. Let's face it. 
We all want a spiritual life, but we prefer to be in charge of it and have it unfold according to our schedule and in our way. But following Jesus is not first doing things for Him. It is first listening to Him speak and then doing what He says. That is why listening to Jesus is more important than listening to any other person, project, program, or cause in the world. This kind of listening, however, is not a quick and occasional check-in with God. It is a deep listening that allows God's direction to do its full work in us so that it explodes with power inside us, even if what He asks us to do is as countercultural as rejecting popularity, greatnessism, successism, and embracing failure and suffering. For the first 500 years of the church, this practice of intentional listening was referred to as discretion and was considered the most precious spiritual gift or charism one could have. It was understood that without discretion, individuals and faith communities could be easily misguided and ruined. In fact, all abbots of monastic communities were to be distinguished by their wisdom in discretion. Spiritual leaders who lacked discretion were considered dangerous because they unknowingly gave people burdens they could not bear and offered superficial or misguided spiritual counsel. Discretion is the practice of waiting with prayerful expectation to see what unfolds. It has the humility and patience to discern when to leave things alone, knowing when our interference will only complicate things. Flowing from a space of silence and stillness, discretion gives us, as the Apostle Paul wrote, the keen ability to distinguish between good and evil spirits. Moreover, it enables us to exercise self-control and to wait. One of the most striking aspects of the classic teaching on discretion is the emphasis to humbly submit our best discernment to wise elders in the faith. Why? So we can discern what is correct, and in particular avoid excess of any kind, even of an apparent good. That is why both in our decision-making in general and when we are considering new exciting opportunities, a commitment to grow in listening and discretion may be one of the most important things we can do. I had to practice discretion recently when we faced a crucial turning point in the ministry we lead called Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. While the organization is a nonprofit, we function organically as a ministry of New Life Fellowship Church. Jerry and I are set apart to bring the riches developed over decades at New Life to the global church. We function with one full-time executive director and seven to eight part-time contract employees who report to her. With this small team, we were surprised when the ministry began to experience explosive growth in North America and around the world, especially after we released the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship course. This growth put enormous pressure on us to build out the organization as the demands and requests for help far exceeded our limited capacity to respond. A friend who is also a nationally recognized consultant spent time with us and recommended that, even if we kept organizational expansion to a minimum, we should plan to add 8 to 10 full-time employees with 15 or more part-timers and target a 6 to $7 million operating budget within a few years. 
For well over a year, I wrestled with this. The need was banging at the door. We could do it. Yet Jerry and I knew our greatest contribution was in developing high-quality content, mentoring, and training churches to implement emotionally healthy discipleship. Our discretion process culminated in a board meeting in which members shared their clear sense from God that we keep emotionally healthy discipleship as a ministry with only one full-time employee and that Jerry and I concentrate on what we do best, mentoring and content development. After a year of deep listening and communal discretion, we decided to do the best we could with our limited resources and to trust God with the rest. The fruit of that listening has been great peace and fruitfulness beyond anything we could have imagined. Take comfort, you are not alone. Taking your next steps to relax in Jesus, to detach for Jesus, and to listen to Jesus is countercultural and prophetic, especially since it's unlikely you are living in a monastic community with built in structure and support. You can expect starts and stops successes and failures, as you figure out what works best for you in light of your unique calling, responsibilities, limits, and temperament. What is most important is that you take the long view of the call of God on your life and on the lives of those you influence to follow the crucified, not the Americanized Jesus. Relax, allowing Jesus to hold you. Detach, surrendering your self-will and plans to him. And listen, you can bank on the reality that Jesus' commitment and ability to speak to you is far greater than your commitment and ability to listen to him. <laughs>